Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, from my Warwick home on this lovely Friday morning. Uh, I'm joined, as usual, by my co-conspirators, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit. Coity, how we living? Uh, great, Bill. We're on the other side here of uh, Rivalry Week, uh, and it's been very interesting. It's been really, really interesting. We've had some great games. We've had some uh, uh, fired up players and coaches. We've had, uh, yeah, it's it's been really, the tension has been high, but uh, it's it's been really fun to follow, to cover, and uh, which makes it great for fans and makes it great for three uh, three boobs like us. And we're going to spend a, a good <laughs> chunk of the podcast breaking that down over the next few minutes. Also joined this morning by the sports director at Fox Providence and WPRI, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we living? Doing good, Kachi. Good morning, Coit, uh, on this beautiful Friday morning. Yeah, a lot came out of Rivalry Week, right? We're going to get into it. And um, I think a lot of things that maybe we didn't see coming in. Uh, I would not like to go back and listen to uh, certain parts of that previous episode because uh, I would definitely want to put my hands over my ears at, uh, in some parts. Our, our special edition uh, Rivalry Week podcast, I will fully admit right off the top, I was 0 for 2 in my predictions, uh, <laughs> crashed and burned horribly, uh, you know, but it's just a reminder that anything can happen in sports, and that's why we love it. We will start with the men's basketball state champions, and I think we're going to call them that because no one else has a better claim to the title than Brown. Uh, you know, Brown going into Bryant last Friday, 72-60 to 60 win. Um, and then going to URI on Wednesday night, a late three-pointer by Kimo Ferrari, 59-58 stunner. Uh, the first win for the Bears at the Ryan Center in 12 tries. The first win for Brown as the road team in the series in 40 years. Um, and when you look at, at what Brown was able to do at Bryant, uh, and then, you know, a little bit of a, a step-down game at Hartford over the weekend, and then the way they ramped it up again against URI, I thought it was a great week to be Mike Martin. It was great. Um, and I, I think Mike and the staff have the team rolling right now. There's something to be said about buying in. Um, there's something to be said about, you know, things clicking, working. Um, and when you string together a stretch like they have right now defensively, um, you know, Mike has talked a lot about, you know, crashing the glass uh, and they've been able to do that very, very well, um, but also offensively, too. You know, I think I think when we talked the last time, I was talking a little bit about how well they've been sharing the basketball, you know, and I think it, it had led to Keno Lilly's career day. Um, that was a few games ago, and now uh, you're getting contributions from everywhere. You know, the impressive part, guys, was for the roadie game, you did get Nana Wusunane and Dan Friday back, but before that, at Bryant, you're down those two guys and they're they're key guys to what brown wants to do and brown was still able to go out there and get contributions from guys like aaron cooley um you know malachi nadur um and and we've talked about kalul anya already um but the kid there's there's something there with this kid right away um and mike and his staff know it and so yeah we're really impressed with them um and you know i think mike had a great quote after the URI game the other night, you know, we asked him, look, you win at Bryant, 
you win at URI, you know, you're unofficial state champs here. What does it mean for your program? And I thought it was just, it was obviously he kid and said, I'm going to call Ed. We're going to schedule, you know, try to schedule that game. Um, you know, but I think his, his response really was, it, it was, it was great. It was very much like, look, we're, we're fighting for, you know, everybody's attention every day at Brown. And when you have opportunities like this and you take advantage of them, you know, it's, it gets people's attention. And I thought that was, it was great. It was very well said. And, you know, here we are talking about Brown to, to start the podcast. So you got our attention over here uh, and you got a lot of people's attention in the state. So, so good for the bears. Cause they've, they've had a great couple of weeks. Yeah. Bryant minus 10. And I said, yeah. I, I mean, no doubt about it. I was swallowing those points on Friday night in Smithfield. Impressive by them. Uh, and what I think it looks like is, is good scheduling early, right? They go on the road, they, they face Vermont, they played Colgate. I remember, you know, us talking to him after those two games and playing two teams that are NCAA caliber teams, right, right off the bat, those two teams, you know, year in and year in and year out, win those, win those leagues. And that, you know, gave Brown a, a good sense of, uh, you know, where they were uh, at that point and where they had to go, where they had to improve. And then to be able to do it, you know, players down at Bryant. Uh, that's now two straight wins at Bryant for Brown. Uh, three games that are, you know, neck and neck with Bryant. And Bryant has certainly gotten a lot of attention of uh, basketball fans around the state. So Brown certainly deserves it. Riding a five-game winning streak here. And I think that the most impressive part, two, two, two parts. I think one, it's, it's, it's the defensive identity. Uh, when you have guys down, when you guys have, when there's guys that are missing, uh, for people to to step into certain roles, and then the other thing is just just clutch playmaking. I mean, I don't know if we saw this, you know, coming, um, but like Keno Lilly Jr. down the stretch, the way that he lets the game come to him now, so mature for his age, and then you know to close both games out strong when Bryant had pushed, uh, gotten the lead to uh, the deficit to under ten there in Smithfield uh, last Friday, and then at URI on Wednesday. I mean, to hold URI without a field goal for the last six-plus minutes of the game on the road again, to do it both times on the road, they are the state champs. There's no unofficial. There's the, they're the state champs. You know, Ed did not schedule Brown. We know probably the reason why he, you know, hasn't scheduled Brown for a little while now. Uh, Mike Martin's team's got, you know, they're they're without a doubt, you know, the state champs. And they'd, they'd, they'd give Providence a tough out, you know, despite Providence rolling a little bit here. Yeah, maturity and, and execution for Brown has really stood out to me. You look at the first half at Bryant. I don't know if I've seen a better half of basketball played by anyone in the state this year. One turnover in 20 minutes in that environment. They shot 56%. They held Bryant to 28% at the defensive end. They completely starved them in terms of transition game. They made them stand there in a half court and play a low possession game, sub-70 possessions. And that played right into Brown's hands. Uh, the other night at URI, uh, a game that they were down by 10 with about six minutes to play, looked like they were going to come up short. And, and the Rams went into a hole offensively, which they are prone to do. Um, they will struggle at times to score the ball. And Brown just didn't quit. Got to the offensive glass, um, controlled that end of the floor and, and that aspect of the game, really defended URI well in the half court. Uh, they are showing, I think, so far, at least to me, 
that they are further along at this point than I thought they would be. Uh, you know, Mike's playing a very young lineup in certain spots with not a lot of experience. And he's got guys like Kaluanya primarily, who was the Ivy League Rookie of the Week this week, and you could argue should be the Ivy League Rookie of the Week next week, uh, who is outperforming, I, I would think, anything that they could have honestly expected from him through 10 games in his college career. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Brown's at the point where we sort of expected maybe you or I to be right now. Mm. You know, nine, ten games in, maybe it takes Archie Miller a month. Uh, and then, you know, maybe he's got it rolling. Maybe he, you know, potentially picks off PC. You're at home. That was maybe the thought preseason. It's taken Archie Miller a little bit more time to get URI rolling. And meanwhile, Mike, just out of the wings, uh, his team is, has come in and, and definitely opened eyes here. And, you know, to your point, Bill, with Anya, he has a knack for the ball. He has a knack for uh, key situations offensively and defensively. He always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And sure, you can sometimes chalk it up to that. But most of the time, you chalk that up to IQ. And you chalk that up to reading other guys' shots and boxing out and being in the right spots, things that he can control. It's a lofty comparison, and I don't, I'm don't. i sort of coming up with this right on the spot, but he's, he's a poor man's Kawhi Leonard of Rhode Island basketball. He's long. He's rangy. He just always seems to be in the right spot. He can hit your 8- to 12-foot jump shot. Maybe over the course of his career, he expands that to the three-point line, but he's got the God-given tools. He's got the athleticism. And right now, to come in, and we see it across college basketball, you know, some of the stats that you see on, on Twitter, you know, of the top 100, you know, recruits coming out, you know, of high school last year, I think according to ESPN, what is it like 30, I think are averaging double digit minutes or 30 are averaging double digit points, whatever it is. It's very hard in college basketball these days with NIL, the new rules and guys that are staying a little bit longer for freshmen to make an impact right away. Their bodies aren't mature. They don't have the experience. They have to continue to learn from the coaching staff you know, get up to the pace and the tempo of the game. And for Kluwani to come in and to do this against NCAA teams, teams that are in better conferences like URI, you know, it took him a few games to find his, to find his niche here at Brown. And he seems like a starter for the rest of his career, uh, barring major injury down the line. He looks like you can pencil him in to the three or the four spot in the starting lineup for the next three plus years. Um, and I don't really see anybody taking that spot from him. And I, I think it's a great point that you make about his knack for the ball, Maury, because Kimo Ferrari hits that big three the other night, right? Who had the offensive rebound and kicked it out to him? It was Anya. He was standing right there, right after the block by Bilal. And that led to the game-winning play. It, 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 if he wasn't standing there and didn't grab that rebound and have the sense to say, all right, I got to kick this out somewhere, and good for Kimo Ferrari for recognizing, hey, I got to get myself open and get myself in the right spot. I mean, that right there is it's maturity from a team. It is to know in that situation, you know, under a minute to go, I need to be here and I need to be ready for the next part of this play. Um, you know, I thought that that showed a lot of maturity out of Brown and the, just the effort too. like URI. It, at URI, they have 13 offensive rebounds. Guys, that's effort. That's effort, and that's a tribute to Mike and his coaching staff. You know, And I think because of the scheduling early and the tough you know, teams that they've had to, to face and the, and the size that they had to face early on, they recognize that, okay, 
we need to make up for some of our lack of size in the front court and lack of depth there with we need to we need to crash the crash the boards we need to have effort there and everybody's got to be involved and these guys have bought in on that and you're seeing the results of it because i think that the games against colgate and umass lowell i think were two games where they looked at it and said you know we need to give this amount of effort when we're you know trying to grab rebounds on both ends of the floor in order for us to have success because they know they're going to see size in the ivy league too here coming up and you know if this is the the formula for you know how they can string together some wins then you know i think these guys are all bought in on it and again that's a tribute to the coaching staff and as we sit here on this friday morning brown is the number one defensive rebounding team in the country uh, they allow 18.3% yep. of offensive rebounds on that end. Uh, that's the best percentage in the nation. Uh, and they have been dedicated and diligent in that aspect of the game. Uh, and it has served them well, obviously. Um, you know, and you, you hear it all the time. You hear coaches talk about if we play defense and we rebound, we're going to have a chance regardless of our talent level. Um, you know, Brown goes up against one of the gold standards of rebounding teams in the last three decades in a road game at Michigan State over the weekend. That's her last game before finals. It'll be a nice occasion for Pax and Wojcik. Uh, he'll go up against his father, Doug, who is an assistant coach under Tom Izzo with the Spartans. Um, then Brown has 11 days off for their exam break. Um, you know, So they get a chance this weekend to empty the tank in East Lansing, uh, go out there for a major up game against a Big Ten opponent, um, You know, and really sort of match wits with uh, a team that, is among the most physical in the country annually. Um, and it's, I think it's a nice occasion for Brown. It's, it's a nice bonus for their players, a great opportunity to play on a big stage like that and, and further their experience. Um, you know, we look at, at URI guys, obviously the, the team that they beat on Wednesday, uh, URI has dropped three straight now. Uh, it seemed like they had that game in the bag. Uh, Archie Miller certainly thought so. Afterwards, that's probably the most perturbed I've seen him after a defeat. Um, he certainly felt like that was one that they let get away. And I think he knew and he knows right now that any game they can close out is huge for their confidence and what they're trying to do. You have a result like that, and in particular the way it happened, and it's the complete opposite of that. It just dings you so hard. And Everything is so fragile when you're in a rebuild and when you're in the early stages of it. You, you're clinging on to anything you can get, any sort of win you can get, any sort of stretch of stretch of execution that you have, uh, any sort of strengths that that you can unearth. You're trying to cling on to those and, and bring them forward and sell that to your team. And the other night would have been a nice occasion for URI because they had a comfortable lead. With about six minutes to go, they had some good individual performances from guys. Uh, and in the blink of an eye, it just unraveled. And that's sort of the way it's going for the Rams at, at the moment. It's the toughest thing to do in sports is learn how to win. You cannot have a coach teach you. You can't read about it in a textbook. You can't watch it on film. Learning how to close games and do it collectively with a new group of guys around you is is the toughest thing. And, and that's what we see right now. That's the difference in Mike Martin's program and Archie Miller's program at this point. Mike Martin's fingerprints are all over the east side. He's got guys that have been there. He's got guys that have been through the wars, and now he's sprinkling sprinkling in some freshman talent, some rookies. 
And on the other side, it's a bunch of URI guys that have never won, whether it's the places before here or at URI. And that's to no fault of their own. That's just the situations that they were in. Archie Miller's a proven winner. Can't, can't, you know, teach guys how to win nine games into a season. And that's what it is. I, I will say I was, you know, impressed with the fact that they started off the game well. There was no hangover after PC. They came back out on their home floor and they they, they exerted their dominance. They they jumped out to a nine nothing lead. They led for the majority of the game, you know, there until the final seconds. But boy, oh boy, it's it's tough right now for URI. Um, learning how to win close games. They're zero and five in games decided by two possession two possessions or less. Uh, that has to be a point of emphasis when you're in practice. You have to put you know a minute on the clock. You've got a three point lead. Let's play out this possession. You know, play a five on seven and you're up by 10 with six minutes left. How do we maybe stave off a comeback from from the opposing team? Continuing to practice those situations is great. And that's the way that I would approach it. Still, though, it's different when it's live bullets in a game. Well, and the thing I'll say too, Maury, is when sitting in that room the other night, that looked like a coach who has done exactly what you just said. And the players said as much. Malik Martin and Ishlega came in after the game. And they 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 said, you know, we've practiced that kind of situation late in the game, you know, because obviously Archie Miller didn't call the, the timeout and let the final sequence, you know, go through. And Archie said after the game, he said, you know, no, I, I like the I like the chaos of not allowing the other team to set their defense and getting sort of a you know, a broken play, a shot off of that. And and the look was fine. They got it to Malik Martin. The look was good. Like I I I got no problem with that, especially if it's something that, you know, they've practiced, which the players and you know, Coach Miller said they did. And that looked like a coach that was frustrated who because they've practiced it. Maybe he saw some good things in practice. And then you're right, the live bullets started flying and it looked completely different. You know, it's one of those like we practiced this, guys. What happened? You know that that's what that sort of felt like. You know, uh, the feeling I guess I got from you know from Archie when he walked into that press conference, and that's the most frustrating thing too, is when you practice these things um, when you think it might look good, you think that okay, we're well prepared for this situation, and then the situation comes up, and everything that you practiced sort of just kind of I, I don't know goes not goes out the window, but like. It just it doesn't work how you thought it was going to work because you had been prepared for it. So um, the the thing is, you know, Mike Martin said this, um, you know, the DNA of of Archie and his staff are there. Uh, There are things that you're seeing from these players that, you know, there's improvement. Um, You know, it's just not showing up in the win column right now. And it's funny that you said that, Maury, because Malik Martin basically said that the other night. Like, we got to we got to continue to learn how to win. And I thought that from from a player um, and from a guy that's a leader on this team, uh, that's a great thing to hear because you know that they're committed to figuring out and letting it trickle down throughout the team how to make those plays late in the game in order to you know win these games here down the line. Yeah, this isn't lack of effort from you or I. This is lack of confidence. It's lack of execution in key moments. Uh, the wonderful thing about sports is you can have philosophical differences where you can make legitimate arguments on both sides, whether or not to foul up three. Um, this is another one, whether or not to call a timeout late or let the play just go. 
in Archie Miller's case, I, I think his decision was informed by a couple things. First, you or I committed turnovers coming out of timeouts late in the second half. Uh, Joseph Apollo threw the ball out of bounds with 40 seconds left. So I'm sure Archie has that mental image in his mind going into the last couple possessions thinking, what's the point? Why call timeout? The last time we did it, we set up a play. We didn't execute it at all. The other thing that was going on in the second half, which Brown did a very good job of, they went to his own defense, which I think got you or I out of rhythm about midway through the second half. And, you know, as Archie said in his post game, uh, what do I do if I call timeout, I draw up a play, and they come out in the zone, or they come out in man, they switch defenses. They'd shown credibly that they could play both. Uh, and I think coaches definitely have that in the back of their minds, whether or not I use a timeout, whether or not I don't. He had two left. There's about 10 seconds left uh, when Brown misses its final shot. So call timeout. Fine. You inbound the ball. They're playing a different defense. You call timeout again. Fine. Now you're down to four or five seconds. You barely have time to run a half-court play at that point. So you needed to let it play out the way it did. You got a decent look from Malik Martin. Didn't make the three. That's the end of the game. And it's unfortunate because you had some good performances there, whether it was by Ish Leggett, by Malik Martin, uh, by Abdu Sam, by Joseph Apollo at five block shots in the game. One of them ended up being unfortunate because it led to the game-winning three. Uh, and that's just sort of the way it's going for, for the Rams right now. Uh, and it's not going to get any easier, certainly, because there isn't really any opponent who you look and you say, all right, yeah, that's a win. You know, they're going to win this game. Like, this is on the schedule, fine. Uh, they're playing Army over the weekend. They are favored in that game. Next up, they have UMass Lowell, who just won at UMass, who's already won at Brown. Good team. Yeah, so there are no layups there, uh, and especially not when you're going through the phase that the Rams are at this point. It's just Murphy's Law the way it is. It's just not going to be easy no matter what they try. No, and it, and it does not matter at this point, too. That's the other thing. You know, fans that are listening in, fans that are watching the games, this is year one of a, of a long rebuild. You want it to matter come the A-10 regular season. R right now, Yorai is not playing for anything. They're not playing for a postseason bid. This isn't three, four years down the line where it's a big non-conference game and you're looking to, to build a resume. It does not matter right now. Go through the pains. Go through the hardships. Uh, this program is going to change a lot by the time you know, the, the, the team uh, and Archie Miller has them, you know, maybe a fringe top 25 team or, or a potential team that could make a run in the A-10 tournament. Right now, you're just looking to gain experience before the A-10 regular season. And if you can compile some film here of maybe what not to do late in games, you can learn from that, maybe have some time to correct it in the few final out-of-conference games before the A-10 season starts. And maybe then something changes. But right now, it just does not matter wins and losses. You have to just go through it. And that's another big reason, you know, looking at it in a vacuum of just why maybe Archie Miller didn't call timeout. Roll the ball out. See what guys can make plays down the stretch. See what guys step up defensively. Who knows where to be on the offensive side of the ball. And if it works, great. They taught themselves. And if it doesn't, that's where the coaching comes in. You have to still continue to build the trust every day with your program. He's still only been there for six, seven months at this point. You know, maybe it's just like, hey, he knows in the back of his mind the trajectory of the program will not change whether I beat Brown 
on Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, or whether I lose. It just does not matter. So maybe that that's another, you know, thing in, in his head that says, hey, let, let me just let them go out and play. Uh, it's and, the little things. They can figure it out. See if they can figure it out on themselves. Yeah, no, it's it's the little things, um, you know, and it's Maury, it's a being a small market uh, TV reporter, you know, uh, teleprompter fails. What do you do? Uh, video's not playing right. What do you do? Uh, parent calls. You said their kid's name wrong. What do you do? Those are all the things that I learned in Bangor, Maine. It's the things that you learned in Walla Walla, Wisconsin, uh, you know, like that. These are the things that you learn. And then three, four years down the line. Here you go. You know, you, you get the uh, you get the big stage and you get the big spotlight, right? Las Vegas, Wisconsin. <laughs> the town was Wausau, but we called it Las Vegas. I So you call it Walla Walla, Coy. I always want to call it Waukesha. So I we both get it wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just brutal. You know, we just hammer Maury's for former home. It's it's just not fair. <laughs> really not. Um, all, all we know is that it was in the well. I mean, we we could get, we could get the town review from uh, Sierra, but I don't think I don't know if a lot of that should make the podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, that's for that's for another day. Would would not be for the Chamber of Commerce out there, and and also might be NSFW uh, in terms of language. Uh, you know, that was not <laughs> that that was not going to be her forever home for sure, uh, and not Maury's either, uh, and and with good reason. Um, so we look at the Rams. They they have Army at home on Saturday. Uh, they're coming off three straight losses and, and looking to get right. One of those was obviously against Providence in the rivalry renewal, uh, you know, the big game on the schedule. And the Friars suddenly potent on the offensive end. Uh, 88-74 in that game. 99-59, they hammered Manhattan midweek this week. Um Impressive from Providence from the standpoint that they didn't whack Merrimack like that. They didn't whack Columbia like that either. Uh, you know, and we said at the time, what did we really learn from those games? Not much. Providence just sort of went through the motions, won the game. It's just a W in the column. Who really cares? They they got to work out in some minutes. Um, beating URI is substantive because you're able to win in that environment. Ed Cooley said after the game, there's a lot to be taken from that confidence wise. You, you sort of close ranks around your team and, you know, you, you take sort of that bunker mentality. It's us against the world and we're going into this building and it's going to be really hard and it's great experience for the big East coming up. And what do we have? What are we made of? And they showed plenty in that game. Most importantly, their old guys came through in that game. Uh, you have a 17 to two run at the end of the first half, 13 of those points are scored by 50 year players. That's what you want to see in that spot. You need guys like Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, uh, Noah Locke, Clifton Moore. They need to step up if this team will be good. The veterans did that last year and led them all the way to Sweet 16. Uh, midweek, we saw a second straight dominant game from guy who was an absolute dude with a capital D, and that is Bryce Hopkins. He is turning into a monster on this team. Uh, had 22-11 and 11 against Manhattan. Had 14 and 15 against URI. And I think you get an idea of what Ed Cooley thinks his ceiling is when he jokes with Bryce Hopkins in the URI press conference. Yeah, you got 15 rebounds. I want 20. I want 20. 15 is not enough. You're better than that. There were two or three more levels to this kid than what you guys have seen yet. Uh, we got a star on our hands here, gentlemen, and, and he's breaking out quick. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I, <laughs> we thought it, you know, looking at him, um, you know, early on in the season. Um, but, you know, it's just, you, you continue to see the next level, you know, little bit by little bit each game, the confidence is growing. Um, and they, you know, Ed Cooley realized, you know, the kind of talent that he has here uh, in Bryce Hopkins. And I, I would throw, you know, Bryce in, I, I would throw Devin Carter in there too. And just the athleticism that he has too. Um, you know, those two guys, those, those are two talents and, and two sorts of, you know, skill sets that, you know, I, I we've seen rarely, I would say at, at Providence, you know, it's funny. I was in the office with, with Ian the other night, we were talking about this and, you know, he did the Manhattan game and he was like, you know, there, there's, there's just bits and pieces, you know, of, you know, like an Alpha Diallo to, to Bryce Hopkins, but there's, there's more, I, I I think. And that's no knock on Alpha, who was a fabulous player for Providence. Um, it's just as a sophomore, you know, the way that at times Bryce Hopkins can sort of dominate a game with some of these teams. It's really, really impressive. Um you know, and so yeah, I, I think the Friars definitely uh, know what they have on their hands here. Um, but I, I think the most impressive thing, guys, of of this past week, I think from Providence is what you said, Bill, about you know their older players, um, you know, and and stepping forward. Um, you know, there was a couple of guys uh, on a podcast last week who were talking about trying to get those guys going and and throwing out suggestions and ideas. Um, <laughs> hey, look. Uh, <laughs> we, we definitely don't have all the answers on here, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think when we were talking about this, um, the, the thought in all, all of our minds was, you know, if the Friars are going to have success, it is because their older players are going to step forward, you know, as, as good as Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter can be for this team, you know, they need guys, you know, like, Noah Locke, Ed Croswell, and Jared Bynum to perform well. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, one of the things I think I underestimated last week, guys, um, you know, and I'll fully admit I was, you know, obviously didn't take this into account um, when we were talking about, you know, Jared Bynum and and his, his role on this year's team. He can be a really great distributor for a lot of these guys on this team. Um, yes, he went to URI and was one of the double digit scorers and whatnot, but he, he knows where to go with the basketball. Um, and we saw it the other night with Manhattan, especially, you know, cause I don't think Jared hadn't really found his shot that night, but he still had eight assists and he's setting guys up. Um, and that is, that's maturity. Um, and that's an older player who recognizes like, Hey, you know, I got a lot of guys around me that if I I can set them up, you know, we're going to have success. And so, um, you know, that's a tribute to Jared. And um, like I said, hey, look, we had some wild ideas in the podcast last week. I think they were probably a little too wild. At least that's what I think of myself listening back to it. Um, and so, you know, hey, I'll eat crow on that one for sure. Yeah, Jared Bynum should be in the starting lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's all right. Absolutely, uh, I'm the, we're not I'm, taking I'm, a scholarship at uh, at the mid year. We're not doing that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I. There's going to be nights when the ball doesn't go in the rim. Uh, you know, in the rim. I thought the best part about Jared's game at URI was he let the game come to him for the first time all season. 
he, I think he only attempted a couple shots in the first half. And he didn't have the gaudy assist-to-turnover ratio like he did against Manhattan. But sometimes you don't even need that. Sometimes it's just we, we clean up the, uh, with the defensive glass. Your senior point guard has the ball down the floor. Whether he calls out the play, he calls the set, he takes it from Cooley, or he just notices a mismatch and just gets the ball in the right spot. Makes a good hockey assist. I remember one there in the game when he hit uh, Devin Carter at the when he hit somebody at the top of the key. Who hit it? I think passed the ball then to Devin Carter in the corner that was all the way down by the Providence bench uh, on the other side of the floor from where we were sitting. But sometimes it's just that steady current underflow of of this guy has been here. Uh, he knows what the program is all about. He's a guy that we need on the floor. There's going, to be, there's going to be nights when his shot goes in. There's going to be nights when it doesn't. There's going to be nights when he's got the close to 10 assists, and there's other nights when he doesn't. Uh, he's just a guy that's got to be out on the floor, game in, game out. And we've seen the different ways now that he can impact a game, now that the game has sort of slowed down a little bit for him in this new role. Last year, he found the role. Uh, he, he was rolling there off the bench. Now, you know, Ed Cooley admitted it, you know, early this season. There's a lot of guys in new roles. It's the first time Jared Bynum uh, is a starter uh, on a consistent basis as in his time here in Providence. And it's a guy now that, that they're going to have to lean on as Big East play comes. The thing with Hopkins, early on, maybe early on, maybe it was just the Ryder game, missing little bunnies, not sure if he should – you know, take the ball strong to the rack. He was a little, he was deflecting a little bit. Now it's like, okay, he's got the confidence from his teammates and his coach to put his head down and go play bully ball when he's got a smaller defender. When he needs to step out and take the three, he can. He's shooting close to 40% from three. The guy has really done it in all, at all three levels. Um, and, and it's scary to say, okay, now he knows the requisite effort that it takes night in and night out. Uh, to play with, to be successful at this level. Now you're just unlocking the next, the next phase, the next step. Uh, what we heard Ed Cooley talk to him um, about, you know, relay to us in the, in the post-game press conference after URI. And now all that's left is going out and doing it, you know, against Big East competition night in and night out as, as you know, now probably the top guy on the Friar scouting report. Yeah, with respect to Bynum, uh, I think you look at veterans and leaders and what sets them apart is they're able to contribute to a game without scoring. That's what everybody wants to do from the time you start playing when you're five or six years old. Who had the most points on the team? Who made the most shots? Uh, because that's that's how you contribute to winning, right? It's on the scoreboard. That that's That's the whole point of the game. Did we have more points than the other team? Well, who had the most points on our team? All right, he or she was the best player. And the further you advance in the game and, and the more you watch it, the more you realize that there are other ways to impact the outcome of this game. And I think when Bynum and Locke played at TCU and, and not only didn't score, but didn't really contribute in any other meaningful way, whether it was defensively, uh, on the glass, in terms of facilitating for teammates, you look at that and you say you can't have those empty performances from those older guys. And in the other night at URI, obviously Locke found a shot in the first half. Bynum, as you mentioned, Maury was was a very good floor general in that game, regardless of assist numbers. He was a good teammate in that game. 
Uh, he was finding guys in open spots. He was keeping the ball moving. Uh, he did have some hockey assists in that game, which are very important. And then the other night, obviously, against Manhattan, he has eight assists in the game. Um, you know, is finding teammates, is getting them off in, in terms of offense. And that's just so important for your secondary and, and tertiary pieces to be comfortable. You know, those guys are doing some dirty work and making life easier for other players than they're able to excel. Someone like Alan Breed the other night who hit double digits against Manhattan. Um, you know, Clifton Moore hit double digits in that game. Uh, Ed Croswell had a good night. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with if Jared Bynum is just going to be a steady guy, someone who they can rely on, someone who they can look at and say, all right, Jared's doing his thing. He's got this under control. We should feel pretty good about who we are and where we are in this game. Um, you know, we should feel pretty good about where we are going forward. And if you look at Providence, they've got one game left before they go on the Big East schedule. That's Albany on Saturday at home. It's a 2 o'clock tip. They'll be big favorites in the game. They should win it. Um, and then you've got a, a week break for finals, and, and then it really starts at Seton Hall. You go to the Pirates as the defending Big East regular season champions. It's something Providence has never done before. Regardless of what you think about last year and the lucky Friars and all that nonsense, they're going to have a huge target on their backs going into the league schedule. Uh, and I think that that's something that over the next week, mentally, they'll have to address and they'll have to prepare to answer that challenge every night. Well, and one thing uh, I'll throw out, Bill, too, uh, you know, I, I love that Ed Cooley continues to um, bring back guys that had success in his program and add them to his coaching staff. Um, you know, a guy that, you know, Jared Bynum can lean on. Um, and I'm sure they've already, you know, have been having a lot of discussion, you know, about being that that floor general general and, and being consistent every night. Having Kyron Cartwright back on the staff, guys, who was a guy that that was a floor general for this program, um, that had a lot of success. I, I think that can be helpful for all the guards on this team. We saw the the impact I think that Ladante Henton had on the program coming back last year. Um, you know, with some of the older guys that were part of that Sweet Sixteen run. Uh, a lot of them, you know, the respect I think instantly that Ladante, you know, got from those players, um, what he was able to contribute. I think you will see some similar things here with Kyron on the staff because, again, he he knows what it takes to have success, um, you know, particularly, you know, under an Ed Cooley team. Um, and so, yeah, I the more that you can do that and bring back, you know, former players that that know what it takes, uh, the better. And I, I, you know, I think the one of the great things about having, you know, younger people on your staff is that they are they know you know, what these kids go through today, they are not too far removed from it, from it, and they're relatable. And so I love that addition. Love it. Yeah, Kyron Cartwright named special assistant to the head coach. That comes after LaDante Henton was promoted to the associate director of, I, I think it's scouting, recruiting, and um, player development. Uh, that was a role formerly occupied by Bob Walsh, who moved on to Iona as an assistant for Rick Pitino and – you sort of see how these coaching moves develop. It is very much a domino effect throughout the sport. Um, it's why when one assistant leaves at a certain place, it's it's like playing Jenga. You you suddenly see connections across the basketball world and who worked for who was a graduate assistant twenty years ago, and uh, you know who might have worked with a, a certain player or 
certain grassroots program who you're trying to get players out of, uh, you know, it is very intertwined. Uh, it is not just a Rhode Island thing in that way. Uh, it happens frequently across the sport. And, you know, to echo Coit, it's great to have Kyron back. I, I got a chance to catch up with him for a few minutes before the URI game, and I know he's excited to be here, um, you know, and certainly somebody who has a lot to offer uh, in terms of, the way he sees the game, the way he's able to read the game with that guard's mind, uh, I think it's really important what he's going to be able to share with those guys in terms of insights. Um, so you look at Providence, they're they're playing Saturday. Uh, Bryant will play on Friday night against Stony Brook. And, and guys, just think about how much has changed for Bryant since the last pod. Uh, certainly two losses, one to Brown, uh, one at Cincinnati in a game where they got hammered a little bit. But most importantly, uh, stuff going on off the floor with uh, Kevon Kramer in a Cincinnati hospital. He's battling an undisclosed illness. Uh, he's in stable condition in an ICU there. Um, his family is there. Doesn't seem to be a, a huge level of concern. This seems to be more a, a monitoring situation. You, you wonder if it's some sort of respiratory infection or, or flu or something along those lines that you know, maybe got a little too severe for their liking and, and their comfort, and they wanted to get him the best care possible. And, and so obviously we wish him well. Uh, Jared Grasso said that, that there's a virus running through the team uh, that started last weekend and has gone into this week. They they still could be short players when they play the Seawolves on Friday. Uh, I know Earl Timberlake also did not play against the Bearcats in that game. Um, Bryant stayed in Cincinnati an extra night. They didn't fly home until the next day or, or two days later. Um, so it's it's really interesting where they find themselves. They they were on such a high after beating Syracuse, uh, a game that got some national headlines. And, and now, Maury, I know you were on a Zoom call with Grasso on, on Thursday. Um, quite a change in moods and, and one that obviously we, we wouldn't wish on any team in any program. No, never, Bill. Uh, Jared Grasso comes in with a statement. He obviously didn't talk too much about Kevon's medical situation right now, um, but a lot more buttoned up than normal when, when Grasso comes into those types of availabilities and he's uh, loose and he's free and he's, and he's uh, you know, cracking jokes with us. And, and, you know, sometimes we're able to talk to him, you know, maybe off the record before or after uh, for, for a short period of time. It was, it was pretty structured. It was he came in, he had his opening statement, he answered some questions from various local media members, and and it was on with his day. It was back to you know making sure Kavan and, and his parents are okay uh, in the hospital, making sure his team continues to get better, you know, health wise before they 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 get out on the court Friday night at home against Stony Brook. Um, you could definitely tell uh, that Grasso was shook up, and he even admitted you know to us that he had the flu twice. Um, so not only is it affecting players on the court, it's also affecting the coaching staff and. Uh, and other people around the program. So you definitely have to take a step back and much like URI results right now for Bryant don't matter. Um, and, and same with Brown right now, it's all about making sure your team's healthy, making sure your team's safe, making sure your team's in a good frame of mind before conference play starts. Uh, and I think it was a wise decision to, you know, postpone that game against Tulane. Grasso said they're, they're going to have an opportunity to potentially reschedule that one. Um, but it doesn't seem like Bryant's in a big-time rush to fly down to New Orleans uh, if they're going to be short bodies or, or if guys will still continue to be banged up health-wise. I, I love what he said about basically like, okay, 
now we've got a 21 day training camp uh, and then get everybody healthy, get everybody back ready to go. And America East play is, is when we, you know, really make our jump again. Um, that's what matters, you know, with Bryant is playing well in conference play. You're going to play, you know, some more games coming up here. Um, you've got, you know, Stony Brook this week. Um, you got Manhattan over the weekend, but, Look, you know, do what you can in those games, win or lose. You know that, you know, you're going to have to take care of business and play your best when conference play rolls around and have everybody ready to go. And what, you know, what, first of all, you know, we hope that Kavan's doing, you know, uh, well and, and, you know, is improving here every day, um, you know, because obviously you hated to hear the situation that he was going through, um, you know, but, um you know, with these guys, they know that, you know, they, they have to be their best when January rolls around. And the thing, too, guys, is that, uh, you know, I, I think what works in their favor is that they establish their identity right away. Um, they found a lot of things early on in this season, and that's something the Bulldogs can lean on here, you know, as they get everybody back, as they get healthier and healthier. You know, they established something early on this season. And so that's that's going to help them. It's not like they were searching before this happened. They were rolling. They were playing really, really well. And so, you know, once they're all back in the gym, it's like, all right, let's get back to what was working. Um, and it's not going to come back right away. It's going to take some time, obviously. That's why you spend all the hours that you do in the gym. Um, but, you know, they know what they have, and and that's going to work to their, their advantage as they're trying to put it back together here before America East play. Yeah, stylistically, you would assume that that Brian and PC would be pretty far along because they were NCAA teams last year. And to Maury's point about URI, it is so difficult to learn how to win. Uh, takes so long, but once you are there, it is a tremendous advantage for any program for any coach. Um, it is so much less about trying to instill mentality and worrying about culture and how guys will react. They just do it. You have leaders like Charles Pride who people can look at and say, well, Charles is doing it this way, and he's been to an NCAA tournament. I'm going to follow him. Uh, this coaching staff is doing it this way, and they went to an NCAA tournament last year. So I'm going to follow directions. Uh, and that's really important. And I think Jared sends very clear messages to his guys. I, I can't imagine him, you know, sort of couching anything or, or – you know, beating around the bush in any way at practice or in workouts or whatever else. And I have to think that that he, like Ed Cooley, is, is an excellent communicator in that way. And, uh, you know, so you take for granted maybe a little bit as someone on the outside that they're going to be at a certain point in that way. And, you know, even when you're you're pushed like this with, with off-court stuff, you'll be able to get through it. You know, it, it'll be a little bumpy for a while and, and guys will be struggling a little bit, whether it's with their own health or, you know, worrying about a teammate or, uh, you know, disruption in their routines or whatever it may be. But you have full faith that they're going to get back to it. And uh, that starts tonight with a game against Stony Brook uh, over the weekend against Manhattan. Um, and then they've got two really good mid-major games before they get into conference play uh, with Liberty at Springfield on a neutral court. And then with Towson here to start a home-and-home home. Um and those are excellent, excellent mid-major games. Great bit of scheduling by Jared Grasso and, and Phil Martelli, uh, two teams who actually picked up the phone when Phil called and said, yeah, sure, we'll play. 
we're we're going to be pretty good. You're a good test for us. Um, you know, but most importantly, with Bryant, we we wish everyone well on the health side. Uh, we hope to see everyone back on the bench and in uniform uh, in short order. Um, you know, guys, just a, a quick look on the women's side before we wrap up here. Uh, actually, you know what? One more one more men's note, uh, recruiting note, something out of Pawtucket. Uh, Isaiah Miranda, the seven footer from Pawtucket, uh, played maybe one year at Tolman. Uh, you know, with someone who is a fast-rising prospect, consensus top 50 national talent, has committed to North Carolina State. Uh, he made a live internet announcement on Wednesday, um, and he'll be joining the Wolfpack for second semester. He will enroll immediately. Um, you know, he was at Southern California Academy. He had already fulfilled his high school graduation requirements. Uh, the Wolfpack are off to an 8-2 and two start, and they had an injury in the front court that might open up some playing time for Miranda immediately. They also had a scholarship available. Um, so Isaiah Miranda to the ACC, uh, you don't necessarily see that for a guy from Pawtucket every day. I, I would think he's, and, and I'm pretty certain I double-checked this, he's the highest-profile recruit Rhode Island has had since David Duke, um, you know, who obviously stayed home and, and played for the Friars. Uh, you know, but really happy for the kid. Um, you know, wish him the best. Uh, and it's nice to see Rody on the map a little bit. Yeah, and I, I he's obviously really, really excited. And the the chance to play immediately, it's so unique, guys. It's so unique. You just don't see it often. Um, but it happens so fast. And uh, But look, good for Isaiah for capitalizing on that kind of opportunity here. He's going to he's gonna play right away. Um, and he's going to help an ACC team. And um, look, with with his size and his skill set um, and the drive that he has, you know, had a chance to to talk to him last night. And um, obviously, he's thrilled. Um, but yeah, the the drive that he has to you know get to the goals that he has for himself, um, you know, this gives him a chance right away to make an impact. He's excited about playing the college game. Um, he's excited about some of the guys that he was mentioning how he's like, they've got NC state's got, you know, three pro level guards, you know, that are going to make a guy like me look good. Um, and I thought that was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a kid that's looked at the team, looked at the program and said like, Hey, this, this is going to be a really good setup for me. And so, um, good for him. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's ha all happening fast. And look, he's probably going to go through some growing pains. There's going to be certain things that happen. You go up to a next level like this. The college came in the ACC right away. Uh, yeah, there's there's going to be some growing pains. But again, with his skill set, his drive, um, you know, I'm sure Isaiah is going to find success. Uh, and it's it's great. It's a great story. He's all of seven foot one. And when you're thinking about the next level, whether it be high European basketball or, or even in the NBA, it's hard to turn a 6'10 guy into 7'1. You can't just add three inches onto a guy like that. You know, so 7'1 is 7'1. And and who knows? He's still growing. He's still young. He potentially could grow another inch or two. Um, you know, if an NBA team wants to take a chance at him, it sounds like Isaiah's already thinking about potentially entering the NBA draft this upcoming spring, depending on how second semester goes in Raleigh. February, uh, February, yeah, February 11th. Um, mark your calendars. He'll be he'll have a little bit of a homecoming as as the Wolfpack come up to Chestnut Hill to face Boston College. 
I know that one's on the uh, WPRI 12 sports office calendar already. Mm. I would assume it is uh, on the ABC six sports calendar already is Coity shaking his phone and yeah, there is Providence right journal sports calendar too uh, <laughs> for Bill. So um, I assume we're going to be up there assuming that uh, Isaiah is playing and he's playing well, uh, get a little check-in with a hometown guy, but you have to wish him all the best and, and who knows, it could be a quick rise over the next six months. We could go from talking, you know, about him at Springfield Commonwealth Academy, you know, five, six months ago to potentially being drafted in the NBA. Yeah, kid who only started playing basketball a few years ago and, you know, someone who at Tolman, he went out for the freshman team, not even the varsity. Uh, he, he just did not think he was that type of player, did not think he was ready for it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Had a uh, had a dunk early on at Tolman, whether it was in a practice or in a game, and a clip of that dunk was sent to uh, the folks who run RI Elite, which is a grassroots organization in the state. Uh, and RI Elite, from that point, made a very aggressive recruiting pitch to Miranda and said, look, we think you can do something in this game, uh, and we want you with us, um, You know, and you can do it here with a bunch of guys who grew up here. Uh, Sebastian Thomas, one of his old AAU teammates, uh, obviously is a, is a guard at Rhode Island who, who has known Isaiah for years. Uh, you know, and that's it's the sort of thing you love to see. You, you love to see local guys make good. You know, we've had a good run of that recently, obviously, with Jeremy Pena uh, being the World Series MVP. I, I know when he came back to Providence, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see him and how he was received in the community. Uh, and so you hope, guys, like like you put that date on the calendar, you hope that there is a significant Rhode Island contingent that makes the hour drive to Chestnut Hill for that game. And, and you hope that Isaiah is playing a key role for NC State at that point. Um, you know, that's all you could ask is an opportunity. And he's got one uh, maybe a little earlier than than we anticipated and you know, maybe not at the school that we anticipated. But recruiting is, is a fluid situation. Uh, things happen quickly and and sometimes unexpectedly and and this was one of those uh yeah and just about no school is going to refuse a a top 50 big guy um mid-season for reinforcements if if he would like to come that's uh that's something you generally don't turn down uh you know guys we will go to the ladies we'll we'll wrap up the pod with a quick whip through the ladies and another rivalry game earlier this week uh providence taking out brown at Alumni Hall, uh, the Friars 62-44 winners there. Friars playing well in the non-conference, uh, 7-2 and two in non-conference games. Uh, they're 0-2 in the Big East. They they got beat by UConn and beat by Villanova. Two teams are in the top 25. Very difficult assignment right out of the gate in conference. Uh, but PC has talent, and we've said it before. On the pod, they they have a good young base of talent on that team. It's just a matter of of can they break through? I know that's something I, I asked Jim Crowley last weekend when they played Villanova. I said, you look at the teams at the top of this league, whether it's UConn, Villanova, DePaul is a serial NCAA contender. Creighton is in the top 25 right now. Uh, St. John's was off to an extended good start. Seton Hall as well. So what do you do? And, and he said, it's difficult. Uh, you have to just keep them focused on making the climb and, and improving. Uh, and not necessarily worry about if you drop a couple games to to teams who are in the the upper crust of the league. Um, and so you look at their game against Brown the other night, who was also improving. Uh, you get 22 points from Olivia Olson, who you know I'm on the record on this pod. I think she's a great player, and 
you know, will be a great player at Providence going forward. Uh, you know, someone who's certainly going to be a thousand point scorer and, and have a chance to do damage on the glass in her career. Um, you know, Providence just needs a couple more of her, you know, going into Big East play. They they need more difference makers, uh, you know, against Villanova. Janae Crooms, the only player who ends up in double figures. You, you need a little more help. You need one or two more contributors to step forward. Maybe that comes with time. Maybe it comes with the transfer portal. I don't know, but um, Providence is is an interesting team worth watching, um, you know, and one who you feel like has some good pieces. It's just a matter of whether or not they can put it together. Yeah, um, and I'll you know, quick note on Brown because that's obviously a team that I've I've been watching a lot uh, of doing the um, doing the sideline for the ESPN Plus broadcasts. Obviously, you know, a setback at Providence the other night, but. Again, it's it's young players on a team that you have to you know keep them focused on the uh, on the climb, as you said, Bill. And I, I don't think Monique LeBlanc has much problem doing that. She's got some great young you know talent on that team. Um, we've seen some of them step forward, whether it's Grace Arnley, um, you know, whether it's some of the other you know players that have you know uh, performed well for her. Um, you know, look, it's a you know great opportunity to play a Big East team. Um, didn't work out the way they wanted it to, but, um, you know, this is a young and exciting team that on any given night, you know, somebody's going to step forward. Um, and so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see, I'm sure the focus now, you know, is starting to turn toward, uh, Ivy league play for them. Um, but just, uh, I, I love the energy around that program and, um, you know, it's, it's always fun. I just, I, Monique, you, there's an energy there. There's a relatability there with her players. Um, you know, that I think is, is really unique. Um, and there's a family, a feel to it. And so it's, it's always, you know, it's, it's great to, to be around a program like that and see that because you know, that that's that sort of environment really, it can breed success. All right. So we've touched on a little bit of Brown and Providence. I'll mention URI. They've ripped off eight straight after an 0 one starts. They're eight and one right now. And they have the toughest part of their non-conference schedule right in front of them before a 10 play starts. They visit the Quinnipiac University ah, on there. Sunday at noon, uh, mm. a program that, you know, as I've mentioned before here on this podcast, one of the, the dominant mid-major programs, especially in the, on the East Coast, you know, probably throughout the country uh, over the last 10 years, uh, whether it be in the NEC or the MAC, <clears throat> reached a Sweet 16, won games back-to-back years in the NCAA tournament in 17 and 18. So they go to Hamden on Sunday. Then they have a trip to Wake Forest on December 22nd. And then they go to Princeton, uh, a team that year in and year out is at the top of the Ivy League. So uh, eight and one, good start uh, for Tammy Reese's squad. Now let's let's step up a weight class before conference play begins. Uh, and let's see, you know, what we're made of. And, and, you know, I think if they take two out of three, regardless of, of which games they are that they win, I think Tammy Reese would sign up for that right now and not even go play those games. You know, you go two and one, and then you start uh, with your, with your conference opener on, on New Year's Eve. Well, and let me, let me throw this in on URI too, with, with Tammy. Uh, one of the most impressive things for me is that she has the ears of her players. Uh, she has the attention fully of her players, and it was on display. The fact that they win a game midweek, um, but then she comes out in the post game press conference and says, "Yeah, it was nice to win this game, 
but I did not like our defense tonight. We couldn't have guarded my 67, which turned out to be 70-year-old mother. And then in the next game, they come out and they put out a stout defensive performance. And she says that, you know, mom was not getting many buckets. And if she was, she was going to have to work for him tonight. Like that to me, funny pro post-game quotes and press. But what it tells me is that her players have it's they are giving her full attention and that that is buy-in and that is that's good coaching um and and tammy time and time again is is proving you know she is a heck of a good coach i love that she's uncompromising i i love that she sets a high bar like that i i think she understands that there are going to be some nights and against buffalo was one of them where they're playing against themselves you know buffalo is a team they should beat team that they did beat comfortably. Um, but URI needs to perform to their standard, regardless of opponent. And I love that Tammy sets that sort of uh, you know, that sort of goal for her team. And I like that she communicates it clearly with us. Uh, you know, she is very transparent in that way in terms of what she expects, in terms of how good she thinks this team can be. Uh, she really likes some of the young pieces they have. You, you look at the Hartford game the other day. Obviously, Hartford is transitioning down to Division Three and, and is shorthanded. Um, but you have two players come off the bench and have career highs in points. Uh, Emmy Renat has 23. Sophie Phillips has 21. And, and if you look at them, um, and you just look at them from a physical standpoint, you got a pair of players who are about six feet, six one. Uh, Phillips really long. Renat stronger, more physical. Um, two players who project up. You know, you're not a 5-4 a shooting guard. Um, you know, you're someone who can match up against a Big East team, maybe a Power 5 team in the future with player development. And you look at the jumps that those two have made just from freshman year, it's very impressive how much better they've gotten. Uh, you know, the other thing I really liked about Wednesday morning was it was education day at URI. Uh, looked like any minor league baseball game that you would go to on a getaway day midweek where you had the school field trips and, um, you know, I think they had 3,500 kids at the game, uh, 30 different schools at the game. And I think Tammy Reese gets it from the standpoint that if you want to grow the game, that's who you want to reach. They're the most impressionable among us, the kids. Uh, and I know Sophie Phillips and Emmy Renat after the game said, I wanted to be a basketball player because I saw women playing. You know, I was a kid in the crowd at one point, and I thought, I want to do that. And you look at Tammy, and she's the first, you know, she's part of that first Title IX generation, played at Virginia in the late 80s and early 90s, the, the first full 20 years after Title IX's passage. We're in the middle of the third at this point. And you know, like Tammy said, you have such a bigger platform, whether it's on the Internet, social media, all your games are streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Um, you're playing in better facilities. Uh, there's more spending on women's athletics, but there's still more to be done. And and she knows that. And so I think any chance that she can, she will take to promote the game and try to grow the game. Um, and I, I just, I thought it was a really great occasion. I, I wrote about it for the journal the next day. Um, I just think it's so important that, that they are so cognizant of, you know, the role models that they are. Just don't do what they do at the dunk when they have, you know, kids days and education. I just called it the dunk, the amp. Uh, don't do what they do at the amp 
um, and play the uh, the noise. You, you got me on the last pod for that. Now I'm I know you. what was that. I know. Point? I know it's the amp. There it you is go. The amp. Um, but don't play the noise meter, uh, because <laughs> you're gonna cover your ears. <laughs> it's tough. But I, what I yeah, they, what I love is couple, that they did a couple times, and it was like a Justin oh. Bieber concert in there. Oh, it was oh, loud it's... and just high <laughs> pitched. I was like, oh man, it was it was rough for an 11 a.m. tip for, for a guy who's a night owl. Believe me, it'll wake you up. Uh, yeah, but, uh, it's, it, what a great concept, right? And more schools should do this. Um, because look at how much they, they packed the Ryan center for it and, and what, ca- what it can do for your program. You know, one thing that I always say about my, my high school baseball coach, um, the great Dwayne Follett, uh, multi-time state champion in the state of Massachusetts, coach Follett knew, he always went to little league games when I was growing up. He knew me when I was nine, 10 years old before I was even 17, 18 playing for varsity baseball program at Plymouth North high school. And he knew exactly what he was going to do with me. He knew what he was going to do with all of my friends that I graduated with years before. And by him being visible by us knowing about the program, all of those sorts of things, we knew, Hey, this is where we want to go and where, older when we're a kid you know when we're high school college whatever and so it's so important to be visible and have the chance for these kids to see you know where they can go what they can do it builds a program it does and you know my coach in high school he knew when I was 11 years old he said you're going to be the first sing and dance baseball player in our high school baseball's history and my senior year of high school I was Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof and I was playing on the high school baseball team in the spring. So guy knew exactly what he was going to do with me, you know, years before. And when he says that, you're like, oh, that's my that's going to be my goal. And so I'm saying if I were a rich man and I'm coming off the bench as a uh, uh, bat boy. <laughs> now, that's a five tool player. <laughs> Not only does he have the arm and the legs and the power and the average he uses the vocal cords. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. It's uh, yeah, I've, Quinnipiac did the same thing. Um, I think I believe they still do uh, for some of the the greater the greater Ham, in the greater Hamden area down there. Uh, and and more women more women's programs should do that. Uh, and honestly, more men's programs should do that as well. Um, Agreed. And regardless of, of men or women, it's it's just just important that that these young kids have something to look up to from the time they're young. Uh, and it beats sitting in math class, right? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. When, whenever we got a field trip, absolutely, I couldn't wait to go. Uh, <laughs> you know, whether it was a Paw Sox game or uh, you know, we used to go to Nathaniel Green Middle School. They had a great theater department there in Providence. Uh, yeah, I remember we we saw a couple of productions there. Um, you know, they actually did the the Little Mermaid once. I remember, and it was awesome. Like it had just come out in theaters and. <laughs> They had it on stage about a year later, and it was incredible. I I was like, you know, I'm probably 10 or 11 years old, and these kids are only a couple years older than me, and they're putting on this professional production. I was like, my goodness. Like, they are just so talented. It's it's incredible. Um, But, yeah, to, to Maury's point, I think there is an opportunity for college teams to do more of this, and I think it's coming up over the next month or so when students go home. You look at a lot of these buildings and and the student sections. They want to sell the tickets. They're closer to the floor. I get it. But, like, 
you know, what's the point of playing at the Ryan Center with an empty roadie ruckus section when you could turn that into a field trip at some point in January for, for a bunch of students? And I know it's night games and it's not as easy as when you play at noon and TV tells you when to play. And, you know, you only have so much control of your schedule. But, yeah, if you can get, like, a field trip game in there for a night game or you can get, like, a parent's kid's night or a, you know, your kid's PTA in there or, or something like that, yeah, I certainly think local sports being what it is, college sports being what it is, you know, there is room there for outreach, um, you know, and that's that sort of grassroots marketing. Uh, and ultimately, you might get a kid say to a couple parents, look, I want to go back. And the next time they buy tickets, um, you know, and at that point, you, you've got them. You've got them hooked in a little bit. And you think about a lot of the kids who were there the other day, you or I, and, you know, they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. That game on the floor looks like something from outer space to them. They're just like, wow, these girls are so big and so fast and so good. Like, you can't conceptualize what it's like as an 8-year-old. I, I know – I went to a fair amount of Paw Sox games with my parents, my my brother, and my late grandfather, and I wanted to be those guys. I, I did. Yeah. You know, I sat in the grandstand, and I wanted to be those guys. I wanted to be just like them. Uh, I was a pitcher, very mediocre, um, but I watched the pitcher the, the whole game, either team. didn't matter who it was. I wanted to be that. Uh, and so representation is just so important, um, and these programs obviously should uh, – you know, should take a hint when they get a chance to, if they get a chance to, if it makes sense, schedule-wise, marketing-wise, ticket-wise, and, you know, get some more bodies in the building. Uh, and, and that's a great opportunity to do it. And you or I took advantage of it the other day. So full credit to them for that. Uh, guys, anything else? Well, should we mention the Bryant women just briefly? Because uh, we touched on the, all the, th- the other three programs. We can talk about Mariana Planas Fortuny having 31 the other night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in a win, her second 30-point game of the season. Um, Nicole Gallagher hit, hit a huge three down the stretch in that game. She had 12, all from beyond the arc. Uh, we can talk about how well Mary Burke knows her players and how good she is at this over the course of time. Because at America East Media Day, she said... Those are my best two players. They're going to have to carry us. Mariona is going to be our leading scorer. We're going to feed her in the post. And sure enough, here we are. And she is dominating inside. So Mary Burke, clearly 30 years in that seat. You've picked up a thing or two along the way. Yeah, I just, you know, 30 plus points. Um, You know, clearly, you know, they they know who their number one option is. Um, And Mariona is... Yeah, she's going to have nights like that where, okay, just give her the ball um, because she's going to score. Um, she's going to be a force. Um, so, yeah, I I have not had a chance to uh, actually see them play yet uh, this season. So I, I'm looking forward to having that opportunity because uh, when you have a player that can dominate the game that much, uh, you know, it, it certainly gets your attention. And, and Mariona has, has done that a few times already this year. You get another chance to see them, uh, I think, over the weekend. Actually, if I pull out my Bryant schedule here. Hmm. Ooh. Stonehill comes to Chase Center uh, Sunday at 1. That is a former NE10 battle. Uh, you know, they were two power teams in Division Two before they transitioned to Division One. 
the NE 10 had some of the best basketball in the country in division two men's and women's, uh, in a really tough league. Um, I know, uh, Southern Connecticut state won a national championship out of that league, uh, in the women's ranks. And, um, you know, on the men's side, Bentley played deep in the NCAA tournament at times, uh, you know, Stonehill, obviously St. Anselm's, which is where James Sorrentine played in college, uh, TJ's brother, Tom's son, uh, Pawtucket royalty, obviously, um, you know, so really good league, really good league. And you got a lot of those teams up in division one now. So Bryant will be renewing acquaintances with an old rival there. Uh, Mary Burke's coaching a lot of those games, certainly against Skyhawks over the years. Um, so, gents, with that, I think we'll wrap it up uh, on this lovely Friday. We wish you all a great weekend. Um, get out, enjoy some hoops, and uh, we will be back soon. Thank you all very, very much for joining us.